Hey, welcome to Wild Faith Adventure podcast. We are trying to have the conversations that we wish that we'd gotten in church. I'm one of the hosts. I'm Josh. I'm Tyler. And I'm Nick. And today we'll be talking about uh, ethnic diversity and ethnic exclusion and our experience of these things in church and in faith communities. Uh, we're all from the South um, and we grew up in evangelical communities. So that's what we'll be talking about today, speaking from that experience. Did you guys experience uh, any significant form of diversity while growing up in your church communities? And I'll start with Tyler. All right. Um, so, for the most part, no. Um, the churches I grew up in. I don't think there was a single non-white person. Take that back. There was, there was one person who attended sometimes at a church that I grew up, um, a black man who was, um, who was married to a white woman and they attended, uh, attended our church. So an interracial couple, um, and, and they came for a few years while I was there. I would say that was the most diversity that I experienced in, in my local church growing up. Um, in in our tradition, there there's a lot of of youth programs, and um, it connects. It, I was connected a lot with youth in my district. Um, that's what we referred to the areas it was basically just my state, the state of Georgia where I grew up. Um, and so we had a lot of a lot of events and things. And so at some of these, I got more exposure to uh, racial diversity and ethnic diversity in in those settings, although once again, it still was uh, primarily white teenagers, white people there, but there was a little bit more diversity in those contexts than, than in my own local, local church. Um, Just in the town that I was, I was from, it was, I mean, the churches, and I mean, I think this is all over America, but I remember very specifically that churches are just, that was one of the places where, um, where there was still just a huge divide and separation. Um, and, uh, I, I remember, uh, we can get into stuff more, but, but to just answer the question, I remember, uh, one time noticing that there was a church on the way to our church that was always empty. And, um, I asked, my dad about it I was why why is that church always empty there's never anybody there and we're always you know going to church you would expect to see cars in the parking lot and I remember that he told me that that was an African-American church and they uh their meeting time was in the afternoon and the reason being was is that uh for some some African-American churches a tradition had started where they were having to share a building with a white congregation, but they weren't meeting at the same time that the white congregation was. Um, so they were having to meet after the white congregation. It would be in the afternoon. And so it had just become a tradition for some churches to continue that. So there was African, there was this particular African-American church that they had their own building, but because they, their, their tradition had been to meet in the afternoon after the white congregation, they continued doing that even when they had their own building. And so I just remember that that's something that jumps out to me as I think about that, especially my small town in Georgia, very, very um, separate still. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, 
So I guess, are we talking about just like kind of like our childhood experiences and adolescent experience with fake diversity and all that? I, I think you can begin with that. And then, you know, if you want to go into college or even to where you are now, Josh, as a pastor, okay. I mean, I think that'd be cool. Um, so my first memories of being in a faith community and just in general we live in a very small town. There were, there's still like maybe 900 people that live in the small town. Um, and there, I don't remember at that point in time, uh, any ethnic diversity at all. Uh, as I go back, I see that there is some, but it, when I look back, I don't remember seeing it except for, um, there was one person who, um, uh, kind of celebrated their uh, indigenous Native American uh, heritage. And so I guess that would be some ethnic diversity. But they weren't involved in the church community. It was just, we kind of knew, everyone in the community knew everyone because it's 900 people that live there. So um, whenever we got a little older, we moved to an adjacent town, adjacent county, and the population was a little bit larger and there were, was some ethnic diversity in the school and the community, but we still continued to go to the same uh, faith communities that we always went to, which was uh, white. I don't remember um, the first time that I saw someone who wasn't white in a congregation, but it probably was whenever I was either at the end of my high school career or in uh, college. Mm. Um, I, I will say that just my experience of ethnic ex- exclusion, um, we, <clears throat> there was a, a, a girl that I was interested in dating when I was in middle school and her last name was Rodriguez. Um, and so I, I had been having conversations with her. I think I had a, we were calling each other on the phone or something, but someone in my family like found out about it and they're like, Oh, tell us about this person. And I, I told this family member and they said, well, you can't, you can't date her. And I was like, why? I'm, I've dated before. I don't know why I can't uh, date her. And so they're, their reason why I couldn't was because, well, it's scripture. You can't intermingle races. Mm. Um, and that was, that was the first time I had ever, um, heard of anything like that. I, I wasn't, I, I think, I guess I was in seventh grade at that point. And, um, it, it unsettled me. Um, but I, I accepted it. That that's okay. That's fine. I'm not allowed to date that person. But then I followed up with, where does it say that in scripture? Because I wanted to know and they couldn't tell me. Um, and uh, finally, I guess like several weeks later, they came back with a reference where Moses talks about like the Israelites intermingling or the Hebrews intermingling uh, races with um the Canaanites and they used that as their defense as why I couldn't date. Um, 
someone with the last name Rodriguez. Uh, mm-hmm. And like looking back, I'm just really frustrated about that. But also, that's just a stupid. Well, excuse my language. That's that's a poor interpretation of scripture. Um, that I've heard multiple people use since yeah. then. Um, and so that's kind of my, it was, it was ethnic exclusion, but not in faith community, but within my family, because my family decided that we were going to be Christian. I was not allowed to date this other person. Mm-hmm. Um, which was just so wild and uh, it, it's still weird. So in a way it was like related to faith in regarding ethnic exclusion um, because we were trying to adopt this. This is what normal Christian people do. And somehow in the history of America, we talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast to be, to be white and to be acceptable as white is to also be Christian. Um, and that's kind of what was communicated to me in middle school. Um, whenever I went to college and then became a youth pastor, uh, we had uh, multiple people who were Latino and then uh, multiple people who were black who were part of our church community. Um, and then whenever I moved on to seminary, um, I particularly picked the seminary that I chose because of its ethnic diversity and conversations around faith. I had teachers who were from South America, from Africa, from Asia, from Europe. Um, and the students were from all over as well. So I was in classmates with people who were, I had classmates with people who were African and classmates with people who were South Korea and, and, and just all over. Um, so I, I, wor- I worked at a church there and the community where the church was at was it's one of it's a place in Georgia that's called people use the term minority majority in that the majority of, of people who live there would normally be called a minority in America. Um, and so white people were made up less of the population than, um, than all of these other ethnicities uh, put together. And um, we had probably 11 different nationalities in our congregation. I think it's more now. I'm gone. I'm no longer there. Um, but uh, none of those were Latino. Um, there was a, a a Latino congregation that met after our uh, Anglo-English congregation. There was a Latino congregation that met in the same building, but it was a separate congregation. And now I'm in a different area. Um, uh, I live in Gainesville, Georgia. Um, 50% of the population in Gainesville is Latino. And, um, but our congregation that we have is, is Anglo. Um, majoritively white. We do have uh, some, we have two or three people who are not white. Um, and then we have, there's a, a Latino congregation that meets 
in the same building as us, but it's a separate congregation. So that's like a, a really rough synopsis um, of my experience of what I've seen and um, in terms of ethnic diversity and ethnic exclusion in faith communities. Yeah. No, I appreciate both of y'all talking about your experience. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of the moderator here, but I kind of grew up differently where, you know, maybe in my initial church community, I had experience, I mean, probably really similar to y'all about 99.9% of the congregants at my local church were white. Um, I think the first experience I had of somebody who wasn't white was one of my worship pastors and his family who were black and they came and there was a little bit of tension because he was the worship pastor and there's some cultural differences and things that I wasn't aware of, maybe some exclusionary things. And I remember some people saying things like, I really wish he would keep that black music out of the mm. church. You know, why you got to bring that black music in the church. And so I didn't even realize at that moment in my life, that there was such thing as black music. And so, you know, and to say that there is, and there's a cultural history that can be shared and that just because there may be some cultural differences that bring, um, you know, a unique um, experience doesn't mean that it can't be shared and isn't good. And even on my district, I mean, we had... Hispanic churches and Haitian churches. Um, and so I grew up with a bunch of Hispanic and Haitian kids. What's a district? And so I grew up in South Florida. And so that the geographical location probably had a lot to do with it because we had a lot of Cuban congregants. Haiti's obviously down there in the Caribbean. And um we just had a lot of Hispanic and Haitian congregations um, coming together. But um, like Tyler said, a lot of these churches were split, even if they were Nazarene. Um, I mean, we had, you know, you'd have Sarasota Church of the Nazarene, and then they would have Sarasota Hispanic mm -hmm. Church of the Nazarene. And they shared the same building, but they had different times and their congregations rarely, if ever, met together. So with, with that said, um, do you, do you guys think that there may be, I think there's the experience of exclusionary and also ex, experience of like novelty in the church, where I think that we can get caught up in saying that ethnic diversity is good, but at a distance. And so maybe this understanding of what is traditionally a wide experience of inclusion looks like novelty mm. which is just another form mm. of exclusion so i don't know have you guys experienced anything like yes. that um but i'm hesitant to say more about it because uh i don't want to target a specific church community um fair enough so maybe i can put it in general terms there was a family that was uh, from another country and they had a unique way of worshiping um, and in a different language. And I remember asking the people who, who organized worship 
and 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 let it and pick the songs and i said yeah, this is before we were already uh i was already concerned about who's being excluded and i said is it possible that we could have some some songs that aren't just like white and they looked at me that were they're like i don't know what you're talking about our songs are fine um can we just worship in a way that's not always white can we can we have something that's not white mm-hmm. and then uh, this family came and um they were asked to do a song in another language um and it was like so celebrated people pumped up about it mm-hmm. and um and they it was only for like special occasions that they would be asked to sing. Um, and it was always kind of like, a, and I, it's so, I, I, I love that their voice was celebrated, but it did have that kind of novelty vibe to it that you're talking about. Nick. Yeah. I've, I've experienced similar stuff as that. Like you wouldn't on, on your normal worship service, you wouldn't want, um, you know, churches that I, I grew up in and I, I've attended wouldn't necessarily want those to be central um, on a normal basis. But but like as you're saying, Josh, it, if a missionary came and spoke at the church and they, you know, were missionaries into another, you know, to another country and they knew other languages, they would sing mm-hmm. worship in, in that language. And and it was always it was always celebrated um, similarly. And and all and it definitely it it kind of makes me think of what we do with kids you know in worship service like if kids do something we want to we want to celebrate them and so we put them up front we you know let them sing or we let them um recite a memory verse or something and it and it's cheered and and praised and and all and it, it it's it feels different you know mm. it definitely has a different kind of, right. of celebration and so it you know, as you're explaining that, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that says a lot, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're treating it similarly. And I mean, obviously we're not talking about how we, how we uh, put children up front, but if we're, if we're doing, if we're putting other voices and, and other languages and, and other um, expressions of worship that we're not particularly used to up front as a, as a special or as, as something that's different, it definitely makes it, um, it, it makes it stand out, uh, which is, you know, could be argued in some contexts is, is almost as bad as, you know, excluding it altogether. Um, but I agree, you know, it is good that it gets celebrated. Um, as you mentioned, Josh, I think that it, that's important. Um, we just have to figure out ways to do that carefully. And yeah, Mm. I don't know. It makes the way that we've been talking uh, like the primary thing I think of is perspective and going back to what you said, Josh, about um, someone in your family making that biblical quote unquote biblical argument against dating somebody of a different race or ethnicity, you know, from a random piece of Moses saying for Israelite telling the Israelites not to intermingle with Canaanites. But and of course, I've heard other arguments. They're old, and I haven't heard them in a long time. But people saying that Shem was cursed, and that yeah, African yeah. people 
or people of African descent came from the from Shem. And so the reason why, you know, slavery happened was because of Shem sin, you know, which is completely ridiculous. And I think all of us would express that. That interpretation is really not accurate or good. And so, I mean, even if you look back at the genealogies of Noah, mm-hmm. you know, through his sons, I mean, these cultures have all been related and intermingled. So this idea of Egyptians and Canaanites and things being separate is really even a, I think, probably a misguided perspective from even, um, you know, the, some of the Old Testament writers. Right. And so from, from that point, when we have this askew perspective of even what you're talking about, Tyler, that we treat people with who aren't, who have different cultural backgrounds than like traditional white Americans, um, similar to children for like children's specials at church. Um, why do you think that possibly that perspective of equating um, a cultural, a different cultural identity with maybe something like adolescence in the church. Do you, are you asking Tyler or is this a general question? This is a general question. I think this is, this is a thought. Um, I'm not, this is a thought. I wonder if we think if we're continuing the same model of colonial style evangelism um, Mm. that the church has been doing for so long that uh, because someone is a different race or ethnicity, we have this impression that they don't know God, that God's not with them. And so we treat them in the same way that we would treat a child that doesn't know God. If we think that God's not with the child. And so we, we try to do the same kind of, uh, discipleship or or faith uh, faith uh, development when that's just not that's not the case um, people uh, all people uh, God is already dwelling with them um, regardless of what we do or what we haven't done so I guess more could be said about um, ethnic exclusion and ethnic diversity within missions work and maybe we we could say more about that but i think it's somehow related to the to the way we think of colonial style evangelism how we're still modeling those things Mm -hmm. all of them evangelism yeah i think underlying all of that josh is is some um some biases that we that we carry with us that i i don't know if you all experience this but um I don't even know how it happens, but it becomes ingrained to you, in you that if somebody speaks another language or if somebody is not white, that they they have the ability to be intelligent, but automatically you assume that they're not as intelligent. That was that's that was something that's ingra- that was ingrained in me. And I don't I can't even explain why that mm-hmm. is. Um, I can't point to somebody telling me that, but it's just an underlying kind of bias that I have to banish 
um, that if somebody doesn't speak English, then they must not be as educated or they must not be as wise. They must not have the ability or they rather they do have the ability, but they um, they're not automatically, you know, on the same mm. level. And I think part of that is, is um, we're trained somehow to think that uh, that if you speak English like as a second language then you must not be smart. But in reality, to be able to speak two, two languages is, you know, extremely impressive. And, and um, anyway, so I'm just thinking underlying what you're explaining there, Josh, is that we, we have assumptions about them. And so, you know, as you're saying, you know, we, we treat somebody who is different than the, the crowd yeah. um, as, as being not, not as intelligent Um and almost like a child, yeah. you know, not as intelligent. It, it's going to that idea of kind of colonial mission work and even treating people as less because they're not white or from American America or Protestant or can speak English. Um, I guess it's just, I, I, I think of, you know, us, or sorry, the Pro the Protestant white church that we grew up in and are a part of even today um, has this fear of not holding all of the keys to meaning making. And so I kind of want to hear your thoughts on what do you guys think about possibly that there's a fear that people of different ethnicities um, can bring different forms of meaning into this dominant church culture. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and maybe it goes back to what we've talked about, about, you know, being white equals being a Christian. And so that means, you know, there's, there's the one side of that, of equating those two, but what that means for Christianity is um, that, uh, that the traditions, the uh, ways of worshiping, the ways of, of um, being the church are, are more authentic maybe i don't know that so use that word that buzzword of authentic maybe they're maybe we see them as more authentic if they are um if they are more colonial more white uh and so any any i mean and this could i guess we could you could say to to go to your question this could be said about anything that's unfamiliar to us that we we worry that if unfamiliar equals um, not right, you know, if, if something is unfamiliar to us and there's, there's a risk of it being incorrect. And so um, ways of worshiping that seem odd or not like what we are used to, we fear that it's incorrect. And I think part of that is that we, <laughs> we are scared, um, especially as as Protestant evangelicals, we're, we're taught, um, to fear any sort of ambiguity, you know, uh, it, everything needs to be 
you know, we, we claim to have ultimate truth in what we have and what we believe. Um, and, and any, any hint of ambiguity, any threat to that is we're not going to be interested in that. And so that makes us feel a lot more comfortable if we're, if we're worshiping and we're existing with people who are just like us, who agree and think and look like us. Hmm. I think there's also another issue regarding like assimilation, um, there's historically, I think of targeted missions work to Africa and Asia um, and the different ways that, that was done and even to America. Um, we, we want you to know God and we want you to, to be Christian, but you have to be Christian in the way that we're Christian. Yep. You you have to change your your garments. Um, you have to mm. change. You have to get rid of your symbols and use our symbols. And even I'm thinking of of Ireland, uh, beyond Ireland. Historically, even like right movements of e- evangelism have wanted assimilation into holy like the Holy Roman Empire or Christendom. Whereas that, that mm, except yeah. for maybe the first 300 years of, of Christianity, um, before it was Christendom, before it was an empire, before it, it said, here, here are the rules for what it looks like to be a faithful person, and you have to follow these rules. Before there was a hegemony mm. and a script about what faith looked like, then faith could look many different ways, but now to be Christian is to wear these clothes, to say these things, which we talked about last week and to be the skin color. Um, and if you're, mm-hmm. if you're not the skin color, then to be as close as possible to this skin color and speak our same language. Um, I, I th- that's when I look back on Christian history, that's what much of evangelism looks like, except for a few a few movements of evangelism. The Jesuits um, did, a, mm. did it very differently uh, to parts of Asia um, and you know, other. You know, I can't generalize all of Christianity and all of the, the leaders of Christianity. But... Yeah, I think of how, you know, maybe this exclusivity um, and maybe fear or whatever you want to call it towards um, other ethnicities um, as opposed to like maybe white Europeans or, you know, Roman Catholic, you know, if we're talking about Ireland um, is a result of maybe like human fallenness or sin mm-hmm. um, rather than an outpouring of God's plan for mm-hmm. the world if we believe that God has a plan for the world. And it's, it's one of those things where maybe some, the things that we're unfamiliar with, I mean, it's, they're not unfamiliar to God, especially if we believe that God is a create creator is that God is the source of these various cultures and ethnicities and, and, and the subcultures that emerge out of these cultures. And 
uh, you know, I think that we've got pretty far into the weeds, but I kind of want to, I want to kind of bring us back and maybe even say, you know, we talk about this, this general um, experience that we've had when we were younger and maybe even experience now as we're older. But I guess from taking this, this understanding that these, this diversity is all incorporated into you know, this, to the, the plan of God for the world. Um, where do you think that we should go from yes. here? That's a, that's a super open-ended question. And we obviously don't have the answers, but where do, where do you think we should go from here as people of faith? Yeah. As I think about that, I'm thinking about the difficulty. Um, it really feels like we've, we've raised several issues as we've been talking that, um, you know, that I don't know what the, the perfect answers to are, but, you know, we, on one hand, um, you don't want people to have to, to change who they are, to change their culture and their, their traditions in order to be incorporated into this, this faith that, that really should be diverse. And I think that that's what scripture witnesses to us even in the new testament and um and and all that we we are to that this is this is a diverse faith is is what it is um but at the same time um i'm thinking about uh honoring cultures of both you know of, of you know all cultures and and so it's just it's there's a difficulty there that I think that that um, I I struggle with and I'm I'm thinking about I don't understand I'm not sure how we can um, faithfully incorporate this kind of model into churches as churches exist now and so I don't want to talk too much on this because I don't think I have I don't I don't think I've quite done enough I, I know enough myself to speak to it. But so I just want to reiterate that, that perhaps the way the way that the institutional church is set up now, um, there may have to be some pretty drastic Mm. changes in it in order for us to to be to be a truly diverse faith, um, honoring traditions um, and, and cultures and also, you know, emphasizing emphasizing the things that we do find to be foundational for our faith, which is, you know, we could just summarize it all by saying that we believe that our faith is focused on love of God and love of others and, and, and balancing that and maintaining that, but not, not being so rigid. Again, going back to what I talked about earlier about our fear of ambiguity, um, trying to figure out how we can not be so scared of ambiguity and how we can incorporate it and, and be more comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, that, that's not, that's not a perfect answer to that question, but I think it, you know, as I'm thinking about it, that's where I'm, where I'm going, where I'm moving my head. Can you repeat the kind of the question for me, Nick? Yeah, I think kind of even borrowing or even, kind of thinking of what Tyler said, like when we think about God as the source of the diversity in the world, you know, 
through culture is that maybe maybe even not saying we can speak positively to the nature of God to say that, you know, God is African, God is Australian, God are these is are belongs to these cultures and people belong of these cultures belong to God. So from with that understanding, if if it's something that we are pointing to or share, where do we go as mm-hmm. people of faith from that understanding? I'm hesitant to tell someone what they should do, especially when it comes to faith. Um, I can tell you sure. where I, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Where I do you tell think you, where you I should go <laughs> to be? And as a as a pastor, I, that's one of the things I do is lead a spiritual community where I hope that our spiritual and faith community can be in the future. Um, one of my, I have several core beliefs and one of them is that I believe the divine voice uh, spark indwelling, whatever word you want to use, the divine is already present in each person. Um, and I would love to be able to highlight that um, as a, a faith leader um, and acknowledge like, even the way that our faith community does um, outreach or evangelism, we're acknowledging you already have everything that you need. We just want to be here to support you on your journey. Um, at, at, and, and to see you take that next step in your, in your faith journey. Um, I don't, I would love to be a part of a, a faith community that celebrated and highlighted the um, the context of it, it was in. Um, so our the faith community I'm at right now, 50% of the population in Gainesville is Hispanic. We don't have any, well, we have one kind of Latino person in our congregation. But I'd love to see us uh, have more diversity in our congregation. But that would look like one of us on our leadership team learning Spanish and and taking a real initiative into um, being able to not make them assimilate into us, but to us uh, take on the context, I guess, if you will. Um, I'd love to be a part of a faith community that was not majoritively white. That would be awesome. I would celebrate that. Um, that's what I hope for one day as a pastor is that I can be in worship and in a faith community that's not majoritively white. Um, and maybe not all of them are even Christian, um, but we're all able to gather together and, and seek um, seek God or union with 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 God. I don't know if um, if that answers your question, but that's what, what I hope for. As can I jump in and 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 add one thing to this to, as an answer to this question? As I'm thinking, I think I Hell think yeah. that a a very tangible answer to your question for the church as a whole is that we need to be intentionally seeking leaders. Even in our, even in a tradition like ours that's primarily white, although um, if you look at the global church of the Nazarene, we are we are not um, we are not pro- uh, yeah. predominantly white. There are there are other traditions that are that are I mean other races that are significantly higher in numbers, and so I think that as the church 
um, thinking about our tradition specifically, the Church of the Nazarene, um, the ones that, that we've been a part of or, or are a part of now, um, we need to intentionally seek leadership from people mm. who are not white. Um, and that might look like not always seeking. Um, I, I think that what we'll find is that there are there are plenty of people who are not white who are just as qualified for yeah. leadership positions. And, and, and it will require us seeking them out. It will require us um, elevating their voice um, and, and providing education and things that are needed for, for those voices, because we need to hear from them to, you know, the, to answer the question that you're asking, Nick, we desperately need to hear their voice. Um, in that. I think that's good. It sounds like we just need to treat people like people. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today on our conversation of ethnic diversity. We had a lot of fun talking about this topic. Um, if it stirred up anything in you, maybe you want to um, reach out to us and, and continue the conversation. Uh, if you look in the description, you can find um, handles to our social media and, and a link to the website. And you can reach out to us there um, and keep this conversation going. We hope that you'll join us next time when we continue this conversation of taboo topics.